Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 142 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. First, before we get started, I hope everyone's uh, safe and healthy and well and doing, uh, as we've been saying for the last little while now, uh, as much as we can to stem the spread of the pandemic that's ongoing. Uh, Still no squash as we speak of here and there. I think in uh, New Zealand we we are seeing this Premier League which is up and running, but uh, New Zealand's a different story. So let's keep up the good fight everybody, stem the spread, self-isolation. Uh, do what you can, be civic-minded, and let's, uh, let's beat this thing. Now, uh, today on episode 142, really enjoyable chat with Chris Hanaberry, the newly uh, announced uh, head coach at the University of Western Ontario. He's the head squash pro at the London Squash and Fitness Centre, and we had a, a really great uh, conversation. Uh, Chris has been around in the coaching game for, for quite a few years now. Um, and he also has his own instructional uh, website and blog series, which uh, puts out a lot of really, uh, really good material out there. I really recommend you go to visit visit his uh, instructional website. It's called Serious Squash, and we'll be talking a fair bit about that because there's some some really unique stuff that he does on there uh, that. I know every uh, player will find beneficial, and uh, we, he takes us through the website, but he's had a very e- eclectic background here, I would say, in terms of a squash coaching. Uh, we have a bit of a connection. I think shortly after he graduated from uh, the University of Western Ontario, where he got a little bit of uh, instruction, uh, squash coaching under his belt, and he talks about uh, how that all started, but he wound up in Moncton, New Brunswick, which... Uh, has a soft spot for me because I played a lot of squash in Moncton back in the day in the junior circuit and also uh, at the open level. Uh, they, they had a lot of tournaments uh, in that area in the Atlantic region. It had a vibrant community and now with the reopening uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago of the Moncton Squash Club, this brand new facility there, uh, he was hired to go in there as their, as their head pro and we talked quite a bit about Moncton squash and uh, his experience there. Then uh, shortly after that, uh, I believe he wound up uh, for a year in Turks and Caicos. Now, uh, uh, not much of a squash uh, thing going on there and he talks about what it was like there. I asked him why he left and then um, obviously there he had good reason to and excellent reason to uh, actually as it turned out because he took on a great uh, position there at the London Squash and Fitness Center. And uh, on top of that, he's become, and maybe this, uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but it might be true, uh, his dream job, he's become the University of Western uh, Ontario head squash coach, which uh, as uh, many Canadians know, Jack Fairs ran that program. And they've absolutely dominated the Canadian varsity squash scene and, and certainly have uh, had some excellent results over the years in the uh, in the American scene as well. I think they finished 11th last year despite uh, obviously the, the amazing talent, the recruiting abilities of those universities down there. And Chris is really looking forward to taking over as head coach at the University of Western Ontario. So a really great chat with Chris, and he's one of the bright young minds, one of the new thinking uh, coaches that are out there. We had Jesse Engelbrick on recently, and I, I would place him firmly in that group of young coaches with new innovative ideas and coming up with new ways of, of approaching uh, the coaching game, and he's definitely one of them. So this is a fantastic episode, and uh, I'm really, uh, I really hope you, I know you're going to enjoy uh, this one. Now, before we get it get into it, though, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Active Scout. Active Scout. Uh, clubs are now opening up. 
which is great. Hopefully we'll get more, more clubs opening in the near future. Uh, let's start bringing the squash community together though. Now is the time to start reaching out to your fellow squash players. Most of you out there use WhatsApp as your club communication tool, which is uh, efficient. However, now is the time to rethink how you text your core group of friends on the squash scene. Active Scout is a solution designed just specifically for your squash community. Active Scout organizes all the members of your club by their level of play and it's exclusive to your club for right now. So unlike WhatsApp, if you're forming a group, you don't want to be spending hours sorting through work colleagues or friends from high school. Just find a few people who might be up for playing in this first wave of players brave enough to venture out. Active Scout will be launching on June 1st, but if you want to be an early tester, feel free to reach out to rob at activescout.com. That's rob at activescout, A-C-T-I-V-S-C-O-U-T dot com. That's just like the website, activescout.com. That is Active Scout without the E. Now, guys, let's get into this podcast with Chris Hanaberry. Well, Chris, uh, good, good to uh, you know have you on my my fledgling podcast. How, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, and uh, yeah, I hope you're doing well. I've been listening to a lot of your Canadian guests recently, so okay, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's been fun, a lot of fun. Firstly, though, I hope uh, your you and uh, yours are safe and uh, uh, okay, and this time you know difficult time with the pandemic and everything no squash obviously uh, uh, but you've been producing uh, quite a bit of uh, content of late so that that's good but everyone's okay on your your side of things uh, uh yeah I mean every all my family and friends all, all seem to be well uh, so you know can't really complain about that getting a little uh, stir crazy just sit, <laughs> sitting around so that's yeah. why I'm still trying to produce a lot of content and yeah and keep busy doing uh you know kind of daily workouts and stuff and uh yeah keep them keep busy people, that's the key isn't yeah. it you know uh just yeah. do you know whatever it is you do you do if you keep busy it'll help you avoid being yeah. going stir crazy like you said yeah, yeah. a different uh different time for all of us and obviously you know, just uh, a weird time for me to transition between jobs too. So, so yeah. I kind of got, uh, <laughs> it was like kind of the, the beginning of this uh, pandemic, um, you know, kind of been talking with uh, Lemon Squash and kind of had that potential about uh, this job. And then obviously this was happening and I was still in Turks and Caicos and it was a pretty, uh, pretty yeah. interesting experience going through having to do this switch and travel abroad and, uh, trying to come back to Canada, and uh, glad I did. I got the last flight actually uh, Ooh, out of Turks yeah. and Caicos back to Canada. So. Yeah, oh, it's. Uh, I mean, Turks. I was going to ask you a little bit later on about that, but uh, London, uh, obviously, a hotbed for for squash for for many years. I mean, you're you're at the London Squash and Fitness uh, Club. Yeah, Is that London right? Squash and Fitness Club. Yeah. Right, yeah. and uh, then of course uh, they they have the uh, the legendary Western University of Western Ontario. Uh, uh, squash team which has kind of ruled the the land for for many many years are, are you involved in that uh, now uh, uh yeah an, an announcement's actually going up tomorrow uh that i'll be the head coach for the men's team oh great uh, so i i played with them uh starting 2005 and yeah. uh, we were we our four years or my four years we finished fifth sixth seventh and ninth in the u.s and uh i think as of now in the in canada 
you know, Westerns won maybe almost 35 plus uh, consecutive yeah. OUA championships. So, uh, right. yeah, it's kind of, it was really fun to be able to go and play in the U.S. and compete against the college teams. And mm. now I get to go and do it as a coach. So. Yeah, it's a bit, it'll be a bit different now though, won't it? I mean, those, those teams are stacked. <laughs> down there, uh, right? I guess back back yeah. in the day, even even like back when Crombie and those guys played for Western, and sort of. Uh, I think they may have even won a couple uh, uh, down there. But uh, yeah. nowadays, you're up against uh, potential world uh, number ones. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, I I know our team finished eleventh last year. Okay. Which is uh, pretty impressive. So mm-hmm. we do have a lot of you know good talented Canadian players, and uh, hopefully now that we have a full time coach. Um, you know, we'll be able to recruit a little more internationally and uh, mm. add a bit more stability and support for the athletes. And, you know, definitely going to be a goal is to get back into the Division One, which is the top eight teams. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll have to see what next season even brings. It could be, um, you know, a little bit of a different format next season, but hopefully there is one and hopefully, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. Did you see the, the press release there that Squash Canada – uh, sent out a few days ago with their suggestions for opening clubs. It was quite uh, quite interesting. A lot a lot of the uh, the details in there. Um, you know the one uh, the one thing that caught my eye was uh, you know the two balls. Obviously, uh, how yeah. how that's going to play out. I mean, you've got you're going to get some guy with a really cold ball and keep you know ice in his <laughs> pocket or something as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. going to be interesting to see. I mean, that, that's just one of them. I mean, uh, but obviously that's what you got to do. Um, and then, you know, uh, you, you spoke about or wrote about it in your blog as well, which we'll talk about uh, later, but uh, you know, things that we need to do, but there was, I think, I forget which magazine it was, or it might've even been a squash website, but they were saying how squash is, you know, obviously, it's a great cardio, great, great game. You know, to keep you fit, but unfortunately for us, it's one of those where it's going to be uh, tough to get back on the court and avoid uh, COVID just because of those issues. You know, yeah, definitely one of the riskier sports. Um, I don't know if you've seen the or heard about the eye mask uh, plus full full face shield yet. Mm, but Richard Millman's uh, pimping it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's something our club's looking into. And uh, we might order a few to test out. And, mm. uh, you know, that could be a protocol, at least for, you know. What's Richard say myself. about it? Does it? I mean, he's, you know, he's been around the game for a long time, highly respected uh, everywhere, you know. What's he say about that in terms of, you know, what it can, you know, in terms of the COVID thing? Well, I've only messaged him briefly on Instagram and uh, most of his feedback so far has been from, you know, doctors and dentists and nurses. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen any footage of anyone using it on court yet. Just the courts aren't open in the U S. So I, yeah, I I feel like uh, hopefully we can order a few and the goal is hopefully I'm here actually kind of in isolation staying in my brother's. Um, so him and I can go to maybe to the club one day and test out before the club opens and just see, you know, if it bogs up or, uh, you know, I guess how it is to play with something like that. I don't know if it makes it harder to breathe, but if it's going to make you safer and, uh, yeah, and you can actually open the club and yeah, I guess that's the next thing. thing. I mean, if we have to wear like say say we have to wear a mask, then that's going to, that's the evolution. That's the way the, the world is turning right now. And, uh, and we'll have to change our the way we approach squash altogether. I mean, it's got to be a totally different fitness level uh, 
and that's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least until there's a vaccine, I think that, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. squash will be, you know, there was not going to be a lot of games played unless it's against someone from your household, I think. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that, uh, I think I you think mentioned that in your blog, didn't you? You play, uh, you, yeah. you know, you could play uh, someone that you've been quarantined with or, you know, I get, I get, yeah, you got to be very careful right now. I mean, uh, I just heard the other day of a squash friend of mine, I, I won't mention his name, but he just told me that his mother-in-law and his sister-in-law both you know, passed because of it. So, wow. I mean, that's the first I'd heard of anyone, you know, close to me where this had happened. And, uh, you know, when you hear that, then you, you realize, you know, this is not, you know, it's serious stuff. So we have to take it seriously, especially squash. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, uh, let's get, I mean, you've got a great, uh, uh, an interesting backstory uh, to me, uh, as I mentioned when I messaged you on uh, Facebook earlier today. But, um uh, just take us back just to, for people who may not know you, uh, where did you start your squash uh, as a player, I guess, growing up? Uh, basically, I was about seven years old, and my, uh, my parents both played squash at the Pickering Rec Center. And, okay. Pickering uh, in uh, Ontario, right? Central? Pickering, Ontario. Ontario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just east of Toronto. Okay, just, just, <laughs> just east of Toronto, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my, yeah, my, my parents basically didn't have babysitters. So my brother and I would just go to the courts and just sit outside <clears> the courts while they play. And, uh, eventually like I, I was into a lot of sports already at that age. And, you know, they gave us a racket, each a racket. And next thing you know, uh, our club randomly hosted uh, Canadian junior nationals in 1991. Okay. Uh, so I was nine years old and I'd never played a tournament, but it was at, at our home club. Uh, so I signed up ended up winning the consolation and then i was like oh, oh yeah you're kind of good at this and uh and then you know your, your there, first taste got... of victory and you know turning <laughs> yeah. back right yeah yeah so <laughs> still have that trophy somewhere it was one of the nicest probably most expensive trophies for winning the under 12 consolation okay um as it but, should be uh, then just yeah became kind of obsessed and and was really determined to kind of be the best in canada and uh you know then you know trained really hard over the summer and the next, you know, probably year started to actually get some good results within Ontario. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then you, uh, you played for Western in 2005. So that, that must've been, who, who was coaching there at that time? Cause they, uh, they must've had quite a few, uh, quite a few over the years, different coaches, or did they have one or two that just sort of stuck, stayed around? Well, Jack Bears was still there when I got right. there, um, and he's kind of a legend. He'd been working at Western uh, since the 40s or 50s, <laughs> right. uh, and uh, so at that point, I mean, he was already, you know, in his early 80s, um, but he was still, like, organizing our events and, uh, you know, helping to drive down to the, the, uh, all our matches. Um, I basically go into his office um, every day or every second day at, at university and help him like reply to emails and, and he would, uh, handwrite his letters to the alumni and stuff. And, okay. uh, you know, he, he was an amazing person and like a great motivator, but, you know, he wasn't at that point in, in time, he wasn't like on court or anything. So it was kind of a self, a bit of a self-run kind of practice right. um, myself and uh, another kind of coach here in Ontario, Greg Hutner. Uh, we kind of ran it a lot the last uh, few years, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And yeah. you know, hopefully now, 
coming back as a coach, I can, you know, be there to help the team like on court. And, that must uh, motivate you. Yeah. To be, to go back now as a coach and as something you probably, did you, I, I know, um, like we'll talk a little bit about your, your coaching, but I, I know you did some co- team coaching in, um, in British Columbia uh, there for a little bit. So that would have laid the groundwork or was that in the back of your mind though, to sort of maybe one day uh, get back to Western and coach the, that team? Uh, I mean, I didn't really know that was an option uh, until about a year ago. I remember uh, last summer, just, you know, Jamie Nichols from Squash Ontario just asking me randomly, you know, hey, like, you know, would you ever consider coaching at Western? I'm like, oh, yes. Like, I'm not super keen about, you know, living in Ontario, just the weather. Like, right. I have lots especially of in May. Here, but yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah so. There's snow in May. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, two days ago, there was snow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I said that was one of the few jobs that would interest me. And I've, yeah, like you said, I coached for eight years at a school in Victoria called St. Michael's, and I really loved coaching as a team. I found, um, you know, that's something that I wish I had uh, the ability to do when I was a kid. Uh, but so much of my training when I was a kid was like either solo hitting or just hitting with my brother or parents, and that's yeah. great. But it's also being part of a team and traveling as a team, competing. You know, even if it's individually, it's you know you're supporting each other, cheering each other on, and it's so much more fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's where U.S. squash has really blossomed. And, oh, and uh, you know, yeah. this is maybe the only place in Canada where you can actually go and, and be a full-time coach and not have to also teach. A lot of, a lot of schools want you to, you know, be a teacher uh, as, and then yeah. just coach part-time on the side. So. Well, I guess it helps, too, that you've got uh, the, the, uh, the position at London squash and uh, fitness, too, so you, you can go back and forth. Yeah, no, and also, you utilize, busy, I guess you can yeah. utilize uh, th- those facilities maybe for, for the team, uh, uh, possibly. That's the plan, yeah. I think yeah. we're, I'm working on the schedule now, and I think there'll be two or three practices a week on campus, and then the rest will be at London Squash. Right so. on. Right, so, yeah, so you, obviously you got into coaching. How, how did that all come about, Chris? I mean, uh, as a player, did you have uh, some, some coaches that, sort of influenced you and then what sort of got you going into the, the coaching side of things? Uh, I guess the main person would have been probably Rob Brooks. Um, the year before I went to Western, uh, I remember he was looking for an assistant coach and his club is uh, just outside of Toronto. And and I, at that time, I was really keen on squash, playing a lot, but um, you know, never really thought too much about coaching. But he was like, oh, come and you know, try it out for at least one year. And, and uh, I went there and then, you know, I remember him as a kid, I played at his, his club Pine Valley when I was a junior, uh, had lots of great friends still from that time. And uh, when I worked with him, you could just see how dedicated, passionate he was to coaching. And that's how I was about like my own squash, but learning how to actually um, be that passionate and dedicated to like other juniors and other people and regardless of level or experience or whatever, that, uh, you know, he just truly loved, like, that whole community and, and making the club kind of like a family. And, um, you know, I did decide at some point in the season that I wanted to go to Western to go and, like, try to get better and train and, and get an education. But I kind of knew um, from that point on that after I graduated, I was going to be back into coaching. Right on. 
And uh, so you found your way to, uh, obviously you, you had coached a, a little bit after uh, Western, but you found your way to uh, my part of uh, the country, the Atlantic uh, provinces. And I'll just give a little backstory on Moncton squash. I'm not from Moncton, but uh, growing up in the mid eighties, uh, those were the best road trips for me, the, the best memories for me coming from that part of uh, Canada. We didn't really, we, we'd go to junior nationals in, in uh, Ontario or BC and one or two tournaments throughout the year, but the Moncton, Charlottetown, obviously Halifax, even St. John's, Newfoundland, they, back when I was playing uh, juniors then in the 80s, great, uh, really thriving uh, squash community there in Moncton. The, the club name was called uh, Sneakers at that time. Okay. And, uh, and uh, it was incredible, and uh, just uh, a couple of really good juniors uh, uh, coming out of there. A guy that I, I competed well against, uh, Duero, John John Duero. I know he yeah. he had some issues there recently, but uh, you know he was a really good friend of mine, and um, uh, you know he was a great back then, really good player. He 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 was probably top fifteen in the country. Uh, both of us uh, in our age groups, which is pretty good from coming from. Uh, where we came from. Uh, but yeah, Moncton squash is fantastic. So when you arrived there, uh, they had the new facility. I'm not sure if you were the first club pro or you might've been one of the first, but probably the first re uh, first one coming from outside of, uh, the area. So what did you think of Moncton? Uh, I mean the, the community there, uh, even before when I, like I said, when I was playing, it was just such a rich, uh, squash community, great people. You, you must've found that. Uh, yeah, I think my first, um, well, actually I should maybe first start with like how I got the job. So basically, mm. uh, sport Canada had these grants where they were helping, uh, clubs in different sports who don't have a coach hire a full-time coach. Okay. Um, so there was somebody at, at squash Canada at that time who recommended was talking to Moncton and be like, Oh, I, you know, I know this guy and he's graduating from Western next year. And it, this is this grants available. Um, and uh, they end up applying for it and getting it, which helped offset their expenses to hire me. Okay. Um, so that was how that happened. So I believe I well, was that, their first that's coach. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, that, 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 I mean, just to, I mean that, that's kind of something that I guess a squash club, in order to market itself, would want to have, right? To, to be able to bring in a, a, a good coach from you know, a, a good coach and have it offset by this grant. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think there was a lot of things that, you know, the club, you know, changed right away because they, there was basically no programs. It's just people would go in, play with their friend and, you know, have a yeah. beer and there were no juniors. And uh, it was, you know, and obviously I've been around like, you know, with Rob Brooks and, and seen a lot of other clubs that have had a lot of successful programs uh, and obviously really was passionate about um, creating a junior program. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so... Um, I guess my first, um, my first appearance, I don't know if you know the name Mark Lalonde. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know. So I've I, played I, him. I drove, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't even know him at the time, but he, yeah. you know, when he knew he was on the coach, Canadian national team. At one yeah. Point, he was yeah. one of the best players. Um, yeah. And, uh, so he welcomed me. He's like, Oh, Chris, come in. You can stay in my house as long as you want until you find a place. Uh, so he's so welcoming and, uh, him and his wife and, they let me stay in their basement for a month until I found my own place. 
the weather was actually nice then in about August or so. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that didn't <laughs> last long. Uh, the, <laughs> no, the, first no. win the first winter wasn't too bad, but the second winter, uh, it was just insane. Like just, you know, so many <laughs> potholes and like yeah. two or three yeah. like snowstorms a week. Yeah. And uh, basically you're just trying to get to work and back and then you, you don't do anything because it's dangerous to go out and, and drive, even though I had yeah. a, a pickup truck. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Quite a bit different from, uh, from life in uh, central uh, Ontario. Well, Although it does get quite cold anywhere. there though. Oh yeah. 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 They, they take care of their roads a little better. And I never knew until I went to Moncton, they actually have these like snow plows that basically, plow the snow banks to make room for more snow oh okay so, yeah. yeah 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 i do remember i do recall those uh, uh heavy snowy uh days there in the maritimes they they just they were the snow is relentless at times yeah it can be yeah. yeah yeah and um so you you played a little bit too there with with our, our good friend uh, matt bishop i know you guys uh, he told me a couple you, you had a couple of uh good battles over the years while, while, uh, I guess you were there for two years, uh, two years, yes. two years. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you had a couple of good battles, uh, during that time with him and, uh, you know, he's obviously gone on to do really well, uh, since, uh, Neil Harvey, uh, arrived even before that though, he was a national junior champion or ranked fairly high anyway. So what was it like to, uh, to, to compete, uh, to compete there in, in the Atlantic region, a little bit different, but still uh, some decent squash. Yeah, I think the first tournament I played there was Nova Scotia Open. Uh, mm. So it was at, at um, St. Mary's and yeah. I, ha I had to play him in the finals and didn't really, you know, I just knew there was an aura like, oh, Matt Bishop, you know, hasn't lost yeah. a match in X number of years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's such a good player. And, and when you get on court to actually play with him, you can tell right away, like his mechanics are great. Uh, hits the ball hard he can you know he can do it yeah. all so you know I was a little bit younger and I was you know still just out of western and, and relatively fit uh, I remember actually that match like Neil Harvey was there to coach him and John Howard <laughs> senior was over from PEI so he was coaching me so was, oh great okay it was kind of sort of back back at, yeah nickel and power there yeah <laughs> uh, and I remember and I remember I, I ended up winning in five and it was just I felt like actually one of John's comments um, after the third or fourth game, I was just, I missed a few easy shots and he's like, if that shot's on like attack and go for it. And just that confidence he kind of um, yeah. gave me that I went back in and started to play more aggressive and confidently. And that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he could have gone some, some coaches might've gone the other way and said, uh, you know, you're making too many mistakes that, you know, don't play that shot but he he went the other way and obviously the the jp way attack yeah well yeah. if it's there right i think it's it's not that i was forcing it i was just missing a few shots that i uh, normally would make and then you get a little tentative and next thing you know you're not really applying a lot of pressure so right right on and then you uh, you obviously you mentioned you went to uh <clears throat> out west and then after that gig there you found yourself in turks and caicos for a year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why, why did you leave? Uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously, obviously the, the, yeah. the opportunity, but I mean, tell us yeah. about that. Uh, actually, um, I know you and I spoke a year and a half ago and we didn't, things didn't come to fruition until today, but actually I had, a, I think someone from there uh, recommended uh, that I contact you and get you on the podcast. So 
that I said, geez, yeah, we were supposed to do it. And I, I, that's when I reached out to you. So obviously you've got a, a lot of good, uh, you know, people there who really liked the work you did. Uh, so what was it like, uh, there for you in terms of coaching and living? You, uh, must've been amazing. Uh, amazing in a lot of ways, but also, you know, challenging in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd say the cha- you know, the challenging parts is, you know, I went down there and uh, there was maybe four squash members. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So right, right away, That's I'm it. like, okay, what, yeah, what am I doing here? Like, Country uh, about, what, 25,000 or so there, 30,000? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because there's a lot of people on and off the island. Um, right. Usually there's a lot of tourism. Uh, so, you know, the tennis program there and at some other places were doing pretty well. So I think the club kind of felt like, oh, we can have a successful squash program. There's interest. Uh, a lot of kids play sports. They're organized sports. Um, so at the beginning, it was just very slow. It was kind of, I went down the end of April last year, and that's getting near the off season, uh, which is hurricane season, which means a lot of people aren't on island. Uh, so it was very, right. very slow uh, working at the beginning, uh, but started to get to know the people, know the island. Um, and then, you know, I was lucky that one of the members um, had an Airbnb. Well, he had a house he was trying to sell, and I, he offered that I could rent it out and do Airbnb in his house. Um, okay. That was basically how I made a living the last uh, six, seven months because, you know, coaching there, you know, I ended up getting up to about 30 to 35 members, but it still is, you know, an expensive place yeah. to live. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and U.S. dollars. Uh, and uh, I would say some of the other challenges, I, I did write a blog post maybe um, eight, nine months ago about it. But uh, what some of the challenges is just nothing's really computerized there. So trying to get a driver's license, trying right. to get like your insurance card and, you know, work permit extensions and makes you appreciate like the, the technology account. that we have. Right. Oh, yeah. They like yeah. if I got a piece of mail there, they're looking for a paper book to check my look for my name. And it's, right. you know, a thousand pages long. So <laughs> uh, it's like going back probably 40, yeah. 50 years and. But uh, it was fun, and the weather was amazing. Uh, I just bought a scooter and drove that everywhere. Uh, is, that, is that where you got in? I, I know you. I was going to ask you later about this, but you you do play a bit of guitar, right? And you uh, you, you you have your own, I guess, some some music, children's music, and maybe some of your own stuff. Is that did that come sort of? Uh, did that evolve while you were there? Uh, I think that was the idea that like I would have more time to kind of do some of that stuff. But um, that's that was started like a few years ago when I went on a vacation to uh, Indonesia and just bought a guitar there. And I've always wanted to learn how to play guitar. I'm going to try it out. Um, But then, you know, when I got down to the Turks, it was, you know, I actually then I kind of got back. I'm like, I'm going to start this like thing called Squash Shots and do like a weekly Mm. coaching video and and try to get this running um so basically you know still play guitar a lot but not uh you know haven't really uh, had anything produced and and uh, no no new children's songs in the last few months but uh, right. something that hopefully i can do again in the future it's a lot of fun so. yeah absolutely yeah I, I took up guitar i mean maybe late university those years and I only I can play three four chords and I'm not very good but it's always fun to be able to just go you know play a, a Neil Young song or you know the, uh, some of your you know just to play your favorite uh, music without any audience uh, 
I'm not sure if I, <laughs> you, you, you've put your stuff up on, on uh, YouTube, I think. Uh, I, I'm yeah. not sure if I'd do that. I, I, I might take a, I might give it a, give a crack uh, and see uh, how it goes, but no, I'm not good enough yet. <laughs> I don't know if I ever was either, but it's more about, you know, learning not to care so much about people's judgments and doing what you, yeah. you know, you're passionate about. So. No, exactly. I mean, basically, that's kind of how this podcast came about. Uh, there were no podcasts out there and a few contacts, uh, not afraid to see what happens with it. And, uh, and the same with you uh, uh, in, in a lot of ways. So, and here we are. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, yeah, you brought up your, your uh, obviously, you've got your squash, um, serious squash which uh, also includes um, squash shots. I took a little bit of a look at that a while. I mean, I've always kind of been reading your, your blogs and I, I take a look at uh, some of your videos, but one, uh, first of all, tell us about serious squash because I think squash shots is part of, it's within the, the serious squash brand, right? Uh, yeah, serious squash. Um, it's actually started when I first moved to Moncton and I just basically came up with the name and bought the domain. Um, and then I had a friend, uh, you know, from back home in Ajax and I asked him like, Hey, well, can you design me a logo? And I, I had no idea what I wanted to do with it at all. I just knew like I wanted to kind of start some kind of squash brand. And yeah. uh, the first year or two, I, I didn't do much with it. I thought about like, you know, could I, you know, make some shirts and how would I sell them? I got to get one of those t-shirts by the way. You, <laughs> yeah. you got you got yeah. 40 of them uh, are, are they online can you um uh they're online yeah there's only about okay. 30 or 29 left i think now but any uh, x any large uh there's a few large maybe okay. one xl yeah okay i'll i'll, I'll be I'll, I'll go there after put one aside for me if i can pay All on right. by paypal uh, can i do that oh uh, sure yeah okay yeah. great okay yeah and, to Dubai, uh, you don't mind shipping uh, out here. <laughs> yeah, it may take a while, but uh, yeah, it may fine. never get I've, here. <laughs> I've shipped Wait, all over the world, and okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. got to get one, I, uh, especially with the Canadian flag on it. Uh, at any rate, uh, we digress. You were you were saying about the squat serious squash? Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, I I left Moncton I because I was uh, accepted into a master's coaching program at, at UVic in uh, Victoria. Right. And it was kind of around that time where I was starting to produce a lot of content, uh, mostly for coaching, uh, not necessarily, you know, to put online. But once I started working at St. Michael's and I had, you know, some kids there who were just kind of getting into the squash, I just felt like I needed another resource for them. And, and then that's where I kind of started with the blog and just putting up information that I thought was going to be relevant to them and they might find interesting about squash or um, different things like that. And then the next thing I know, I'm like getting people commenting or, you know, contacting me from all over the world reading it. And it wasn't mm. just my students. Uh, so then I started just to like be more open to sharing what I thought I knew about squash and what I'd been learning um, just because I knew how dedicated I was, yeah. you know, as a kid or at university playing squash. And I wish I had more more resources available. To well, that's me. the thing. I mean, even, yeah. even now, I, I don't, I mean, you, you compare squash, obviously there are more people playing golf uh, than there are squash, but still, I still don't think there, there's enough out there. I mean, the squash skills is doing great stuff. Um, and you've got some really good stuff out there. Uh, there might be a few others that are out there, but it's not, you know, there, there isn't really a lot of stuff. So I, I think 
you know, you could do quite a bit and you, you are right now with, in terms of uh, producing content. And I really like, uh, we'll get to it in a minute, uh, the squash shot stuff that you're doing. I think that's unique, uh, the, what, what you're doing with that. Well, thanks. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, squash is a small market. And uh, when you're looking to do something online, like you want to do what you know well and what you're passionate about. Um, and it, like you said, if somebody's, you know, a tennis coach or just a personal trainer or a golf coach, you know, yeah, they have, you know, a lot more um, people they can, you know, come in contact with and have potential, um, you know, business relationships with or customers. But it's also a lot harder because there's a lot more people doing that, that, uh, you know, those businesses online now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, squash, there's not that many of them. And, and for a long time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do clothing or if I wanted to do, you know, just blog or if I wanted to start to do, you know, eventually I got into instructional videos. Um, so kind of dabbled in a bit of everything. And then, yeah, I think yeah. a year ago when I got to Turks and Caicos, I, I learned, I, I realized at the beginning, I'm going to have a lot of free time. I think <laughs> I should finally get in and try this like yeah. weekly coaching video and uh you know that's where kind of squash shots came from and um yeah. yeah so here we are a year later yeah brilliant yeah i was gonna i was just gonna say like if you uh i know in golf they have the top 100 coaches uh, of the you know of the year or something like that none of them have none of none of them are obviously they all played but uh, they're not really household name people you know so it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to be um you know, Jonathan Power or Thierry Linku to, to put out a video that, that's worthy of uh, watching and learning from, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that is one of the tricky, you know, parts for me because, you know, people who maybe either haven't seen me play or like, you know, obviously I didn't play at, uh, you know, a top 20 or 10 world standard. So any, anything they put out, people are going to think is like a Bible, which is probably usually true. But, um, mm. you know, I think... You know, I'm trying to like reach, you know, people who, um, you know, from any level, people who are just getting into squash, who appreciate having free like resources and tips and drills. Uh, and then that's also the key. Yeah, get, it's free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think you want to also get like, you know, the respect of actually good players. We're like, oh, I really love that drill or that idea is really good. Mm. Um, and I think really the best squash players take a little bit from everyone. It's not just like, oh, I can go learn all my tips, all I need to know from this one ex-professional player. Yeah. I think, you know, you'll get a lot more if you have, uh, you know, more of a team around you that can provide you with more knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, before we get into squash shots, because I'm really, I'm really excited. I, lo I loved what I saw today on uh, tracking the hard, uh, rally, hard rally or something, something along those lines. But um, I want to talk a little bit about home workouts because that's the, you know, sort of hot thing going on these days at these home workouts. Now I been, I had been doing the Nick Matthew uh, series. He had one where he does it in his, you know, in his living room. He's got, you know, a couple of hundred people watching him at, at, while he's doing it. And then Laura Macero put one out and sort of, I tweaked. Now I'm just doing my own thing. It just sort of got a bit generated a bit of momentum. I like this. Um, I do a pyramid now without any rest. So you just go from, you have maybe six exercises, five, you do five reps, then 10, 15, 20, 25, and then back down and without any rest. I, I, I might do that twice a week. And then another one where it's like three minute, really hard one minute rest, and then do like eight, 10 sets of that. 
Um, but you've got quite a few of your own home workouts. And one thing too, I think it's, it's important, which uh, I think you got to be careful, don't you? Because uh, with this home, you, you, you might want to try to work a little bit too hard and then you end up uh, hurting yourself, which is kind of, I think I did that uh, about a month ago. I just went a little too hard and I hurt my adductor, uh, which is, you know, you really don't do that. I mean, you, you're careful when you're on the squash court, right? But uh, what, what about your home workouts, uh, Chris? Uh, yeah, I think I, I mean, I'd always been pretty active, especially the last five years, probably in the gym and learning how to do different kettle, kettlebell exercises mm. and how to put together a workout. Um, and, uh, and I think just when I got here and, and I finally got uh, confirmed that I was taking the job at London Squash, um, you know, I just thought it was a good way to kind of get the members to know me a little bit more those who don't remember me from when I was there. Yeah. And, uh, I also thought it was, you know, important because if people are going to be coming back into squash, maybe after being out for three months or six months or who knows how long, you know, it's actually pretty dangerous, like for your health to go back straight into a match and, uh, they haven't maybe that squash is their only way of staying active. So I thought I start off with just you know, a few very simple exercises. Like yeah, if you don't mind, give us a, give us kind of a, a routine that we, you know, the average player could get into throughout the week that would maybe allow them to hit the ground running. What, what would you recommend? Well, I think the main thing, especially most of us are doing a lot of sitting now, nowadays, a lot of yeah. lying around is to, you know, really focus on your core. Um, mm, so, okay. you know, simple. I mean, there's lots of exercises you can do for your core, but you know, you don't need any equipment to do a lot of core exercises, different types of planks. And, um, you know, I think doing that in lower body strength is probably the most important. Push-ups? Uh, yeah, I mean, I still will do some, but I wouldn't say they're the most essential for squash. But yeah. it's something that I would usually add in a circuit um, yeah. just to kind of more or less give my, you know, lower body a bit of a rest when I'm going from one exercise to another. And uh, you would still want to have like some basic um, upper body strength for squash as well. That's obviously, obviously important. But I focus a lot on, on like deadlifts and, and uh, lunges and squats. And I feel like a lot of people are, you know, can't do that. And as a coach, I've worked with like, you know, kids at all ages and levels and, you know, adults at all ages and levels. And that's usually one of the biggest problems is their posture is not mm. very good because they don't do those kind of exercises. So if you can't get in the right posture to hit the ball, then you're not going to move well. You're, you're going to overrun your shot. You're like, you're not going to have a good swing. Like a lot of no lot balance of that. Yeah. You won't be balanced. You won't have power. You won't, um, mm. you're not going to play at your highest level. So, <clears throat> I mean, those kind of things take a lot of time to work up to where you can actually change it onto the squash court. Yeah, that's one and thing I've found. Like uh, when I've been doing, uh, those types of exercises this in this uh, situation, this self-isolation thing, um, I've, I've noticed that my balance is not that good. And, and I think probably if you do these exercises like, like you've recommended, uh, you might, I mean, some people, including myself, might recognize that, that that's a, an area you need to work on. And it's been neglected maybe by a lot of people. Well, I think a lot of people train basically – um, you know, on two feet. So they're doing squats, you know, they're doing uh, deadlifts and they're using a bar or if they even do that, or they go running, uh, they go cycling. So you're, you're always going to be more dominant on your more dominant leg. So if you're right-handed, you're right, you know, right leg dominant as well. 
Um, mm. So I, when I worked with a trainer for a few years out in Victoria, uh, we did a lot of stuff that like one leg deadlifts and split squats, um, which basically focus on one side of the body um, and really improving your balance and strength on that particular side where you can't kind of overcompensate with the other, your stronger, more dominant side. So. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, so what, what would you recommend in terms of, uh, you know, keeping sort of the cardio, the cardio side of thing? Because I know, I know you've got a few videos uh, up there, uh, sort of high-end, up-tempo kind of stuff uh, as well. Well, the harder ones for me are, are basically just, you, do, you know, I basically try to do a, a, the next set on the minute every minute. So I'll try to do a few exercises, two or three. Um, so I think a couple of weeks ago I did uh, lunges, squats, and push-ups, and I can't remember how many I did of each, but basically it takes about 30 to 40 seconds. And then on the minute you start the next workout. So at the I beginning, see, yeah. it's not too bad, but sort of like doing the beep test. Tenth, bleep a test little, but something. it's, yeah. yeah, it's with strength. So you're basically yeah. getting that aerobic um, conditioning. Um, and you know, I was, I, I got, I was pretty tired too when I was doing this. So could, could you go through that again? What, what exactly is it again, uh, Chris? Just to, well, I think the yeah. one, I, the one I did two weeks ago, it was, um, I believe, four, three or four squats, three or four, maybe two lunges on each leg, I think. Um, and, uh, I think about four push-ups. So I would just go through that. And then depending on, you know, if you have weight or not access to a weight, I, I did mine with kettlebells. Um, mm -hmm. then you end up exercising for 30 to 40 seconds straight. Uh, then you get a couple of deep breaths and then you're on the minute you're back into mm -hmm. the next set. And okay. then you can decide how many you, you know, you put a goal for yourself, 10 or 12 or 15 or 20. Uh, last Friday, I did um, four exercises and it was, this, it was basically, you would go through, do one one leg deadlift, uh, two lunges per leg, three squats, four push-ups, and then you just keep going. You would do that five times straight and then you take, you know, 40 second or 45 second break and then you go and do that again. Um, and I did that four times, which, you know, I think that's going to be really good for your cardio, getting back into squash. And also, um, I think just, you know, working on the important muscles, um, that are going to help you get back into squash and, and not get injured and, and hopefully be more stable and stronger. Yeah. I've been working quite a bit on my core. I did, uh, I was running a lot too, doing a bit of, you know, some, some 5k runs, but that's where I kind of, in, I sustained a bit of an injury. I, I, I went too hard. So uh, I thought I had to go hard because of, because of this uh, COVID uh, pandemic. But you, you just got to be careful, just like you would uh, before you play a squash match. You got to be uh, you know, stretch well and make sure you're warmed up and, and all this stuff. So, Well, and I think running's always been kind of a tough thing on the body for a lot of people, mm. uh, especially squash players, because we're not always evenly developed. Yeah. Um, so our, our technique for running is usually for most squash players, very poor. Yeah. I was going to say when I used to run, it would basically be very short distance. I might do run some Hills, do some stairs, or I would mm. go in a trail. Um, yeah. but just to go on pavement, like my knee, one of my knees would almost always hurt if I ran more than 20 minutes. Just yeah. Flat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of what happened with me. But, uh, I just had uh, Sean Delier. I don't know if you listened to, to that podcast just like a couple of weeks back. And he told me, which reminded me back when I was playing quite a bit, 
uh, I was running the, the stairs in the apartment that I was living in. And I was probably at that time as fit as I've ever been. I mean, it was up and I don't know how many flights of stairs it was, but it was incredible. And I'd sprint to the top and kind of jog back down and do it again. And I don't know how many times my wife thought I was crazy. But uh, <laughs> it was very, very, uh, very good for my squash. And he's doing that right now. Uh, I mean, I, I think doing stairs, if you've got the opportunity, uh, is, is a great, great option. Well, especially in Canada, when you get to the winter, mm. uh, it's, uh, I yeah. actually used to do that when I lived in a, an apartment here and it was 20 stories and, you know, I would go at least once or twice a week and go and do, you know, a hundred to 180 flights. Um, and that was just, you know, kind of the cross training where I knew I was strengthening my legs and also that cardio, like, you know, it's again, going to be a uh, really cr great cross training for squash. You know? Yeah, 100%. But, uh, yeah, I did listen to that, that podcast, by the way. And I remember, actually, I should mention Sean Delier was like the one guy that I couldn't beat when I was a junior and uh, <laughs> always played him in the finals. And he was, a, you know, my nemesis. I, I think I had match ball once or twice. Uh, yeah. There was a few like 9-8 in the fifths or 10-9 in the fifths, but he, I just couldn't beat him. Uh, right. So, and, then, and then when I was in university, I actually had a chance to play his brother, Jason, when he was at Harvard. Right. Right. Uh, and I lost to him like nine, seven in the fifth or something. Uh, and then finally, a few years later, I beat his brother, David, at, at senior national. So finally, I beat one. You, you got you got one. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sean, uh, Sean, obviously back then was a talented uh, junior, but uh, he did, uh, you know, did really well uh, and is doing well on the pro circuit. Very fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little unorthodox, like hard to read and he yeah, moves a yeah. little bit different, but uh, you know, temperament, his, temperament's uh, uh, unique as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he's, I think he's a great entertainer, right? I think oh, that's yeah. uh, ever anyone who watches is going to be enjoying themselves watching him play. It's not, you know, he may not always win, but he's going to make sure you're enjoying yourself. What about uh, playing against? Uh, it was hard to know because, uh, you know, I played him a couple of so times. It seems like actually. a super nice guy, you know? Oh yeah. Well, especially I think when you get to that stage of your career, I mean, you've lost a lot of matches like, and won obviously a bunch too. So you, you kind of learn the trust the yeah. process and maybe focus on just winning and you kind of, you know, you know, sometimes you're going to come up with somebody who's just better that day. Yeah. Um, and you still but, give it your all. And if you're happy, you gave it your all, then I think, you know, as a pro athlete, you can't look at it as uh, a disappointment. So, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Now, now the uh, the squash shot side side of things. Uh, like I said, I was I watched the 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 latest one, the fifty second. I guess it's the fifty second one. Uh, uh, or, is, or is that yes, the fifty second? Uh, uh, I think that was fifty first episode. Fifty first episode. The hard movements, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I found that to be quite interesting. And then I, I guess that's the – is that the, the premise of the whole squash shots thing? Is like you, you take a, a video of actual match play and then, then kind of break it down and, and go into detail in terms of what, what you're focusing on, what you want to focus on in that video and break it down, at the, 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 mat, the match as you see it playing out. Uh, that's part of it. I mean that it changes week by week, like, right. uh, last week or this week, I just, 
uploaded an episode where it's basically on the mental game and okay. how your off-court training can make you mentally tougher uh, and how you can learn how to push yourself beyond fatigue and how fatigue mm. is often like mental more than it is actually physical. Um, and that's something, you know, I learned a lot more later in my you know, career and as a coach. How, and, and like uh, for anyone who's out there listening and, and has, you know, they're in the fifth and they have nothing left. Uh, what do you recommend? Uh, what, in, in terms of that, what do you recommend uh, as a mental sort of thing that they could try to implement or, or think, think about even before a match and then, you know, if, yeah. that, if that crops up, then you're, you're equipped to maybe try to manage it. Well, I think when you're in the fifth game, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, so that's mm -hmm. not too bad. But when that happens early in a match, in the second, third game, I've played a 30-minute first game, and I come off, and I'm like, how am I going to do this for the rest of the match? But yeah. I learned later on what worked for me was just um, trying to just tell myself, win this point. So I would just be very focused on not about yeah, yeah. the next game, the whole match, like, oh, I'm so tired. All I would do was just like do my routine, say, let's win this rally. And that's all I, you know, I just really tried to play one point at a time. And I think the more I did that, the more I was able to like not pay attention to those thoughts in your brain where you're like, I'm so tired. I can't believe how hard I'm working. I don't know if I can do this. And that, I think that happens to all squash players. I mean, it's such a hard sport. Even when I was my fittest, you know, sometimes you're so exhausted. You don't know if you can make it through the match. But yeah. I think it's the, the mental skills that allow you to do that. I guess it's a sort of a equivalent to saying, you know, don't look long-term, look short-term, very short-term in, in a microcosm on, on the squash court, one point at a time. If you're thinking about the match, like you just said, and, and you've got this fatigue, it, it's gonna, just going to exacerbate it. Well, I remember sometimes being in a tournament and I'm so tired in a match and I know if I win, I have to play again in three or four hours. And uh, that's not good for your psyche because no. you're, you're already thinking too far ahead. And, uh, you know, that's gotten me in trouble more than once. And, you know, squash is, you know, I think some of the most tenacious players, um, you know, that's what you try to coach your athletes to be like and just give it everything they absolutely have. And, and I do believe that our mental uh, limit for our um, ability to, to go push ourselves beyond what our physical limit is, is mm. there. Uh, but mm -hmm. most people, you know, how I, I kind of explain it last or this week in squash shots is like um, in a sports psychology book, I remember reading how they talked about it, like walking on coals, hot coals and bare feet. First time you jump on, you like jump off right away. And it's like, oh, it's too hot. I can't do this. But as you go, you know, you get more experience, you do it more. Next thing you know, you're like going right across it. And I think that's, you know, that pain kind of barrier that you have to learn how to deal with to be a top squash player and all the top players have it and if they didn't they wouldn't be there yeah yeah definitely now now the latest video or, or the one that i watched and i'm not sure if it's the latest but the one tracking uh tracking hard tracking hard shots is that is that it uh, i think it's hard movements hard movements that's it tracking hard movements yeah that was fascinating and uh you were you were moving pretty well you were you were stretched out there pretty well that was from the uh Canadian Nationals 30 plus final. A few uh, yeah, years 2010, back. I think. 2010, yeah, so, so yeah, a few years back, yeah. A few years back, but you were moving well, and uh, uh, but you weren't. You, as you were saying in the in the video, you weren't necessarily on the. You were on the wrong end of that rally quite a few times. But uh, take us through basically what you were trying to get at in that video, and uh, 
how we can apply it. Uh, the average uh, squash player can apply that uh, to their mindset. Uh, I guess that, that's probably the best way to put it. Well, I think, I mean, you can look from two ways. You can look from the person who's trying to apply the pressure, or you can look from the person who's under pressure. Um, and obviously, if the main thing, if, you want, if you're the person who's trying to avoid that pressure, um, it's keeping the ball out of those areas, like where your opponent can hit an easy volley, your length comes up short, uh, you know, where you try to hit your way out of pressure instead of lifting it. So I think that's mainly the main goal. But then if you do f- find yourself under pressure, you have to like, you know, obviously be, if you can, the faster you are, then the, the more you can get to the ball in more stable position. Mm. Um, so if you're obviously those players that are super quick can make up for those poor shots, which I was never, you know, super, super fast. So I didn't have that ability, but you also need to be able to, that's why lunging is so important. And mm. if you look at someone like Greg Goche, how he can really make himself play big, he can, you know, he seems like for not a, you know, huge guy, like he can just take two steps and he's there and he's balanced and he's hitting, um, so obviously that strength in your core and your legs is super important in squash. Uh, from an attacking perspective, it's about you know not being put off when your opponent keeps getting the ball back and knowing if you're making them do more hard movements than you and you're keeping pressure on them, you don't need to force it and hit tins and, and go for too fine of a margin because you know over the course of a match, it's just like a boxing match. Eventually that's going to take a toll. And you know even if they're super fit, eventually they're going to get slower um, they're going to start to hit the balls, you know, maybe not with not as much pace or as much accuracy. And uh, then you can, you know, kind of step up and, and ramp it up. And that's when you want to close the clamps. and Ramp it up, baby. Yeah. So you yeah. want to look for those signs in, in your opponent if you see that happening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you did that in, in that uh, in the video you posted. I mean, you were on the wrong end of that rally for quite a bit. But then you you put, I remember the shot, it was a boat, maybe a backcourt boast or something. You moved him to the front and you, then you said you noticed uh, his movement was breaking down. And at that point, yeah. you, uh, the things changed. Well, and I knew at that point too, that if I just got on the ball early, even though I was hurting, I knew mentally, this is where you need to push through that kind of pain barrier and just go and do it because that's going to be the turning point in the match. And, uh, and then obviously getting those, you know, you see those signs where they're taking that bit of extra time to recover. You'd see maybe they're hunched over a bit between rallies. They're going to wipe their hand on the wall. And yeah, that taking, was one thing, know, one thing you mentioned there too, uh, which is something, uh, uh, I mean, I still do a little bit of coaching. I coach a couple of juniors and, uh, one thing I, I remember telling one of my juniors, uh, the other day, he, not the other day, but the last time we got together was a while ago, actually. But uh, he, ten, you know, sometimes we'll we'll do some drills or we'll just be having fun. But he'll he'll uh, after something a little bit longish, he might. There's an expression on his face like he 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 he's tired, right? I yeah. said, don't don't show me. Try not to show me that you're tired. And you mentioned that in the in the video, I think at some point there. Uh, how do you mask that? Or how, how would you recommend uh, masking it? I mean, you know, you got, you got to put your best uh, face on, obviously, and uh, there are certain things you can do. You know, you can get right back to the service box and, and look like you're ready to go. Um, yeah, that, I, I that think it's a little like poker. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, it's kind of yeah. like poker. Like, you have to have a poker face, and you yeah. have to learn how to basically not be showing that you're slouched over. So you have to have good posture. If you take a deep breath, you do it when you're away from your opponent. 
But a lot of it is just, I think you want to intimidate them by showing that it didn't hurt you and being ready to play the next rally early, even if you're, you know, you are maybe hurt a bit. Um, and I yeah. think sometimes that mental warfare can, you know, really your opponent's going to be looking over and be like, I can't like, what's it going to take to wear this guy down? And if you look at someone like Paul Cole, right. I mean, hmm. how many times have we seen him actually worn down? Very rarely. Much? Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely. So yeah. I think that's, you know, mental as much as his physical is, you know, even well, that's if all, I hurting, mean, all that's crazy circuit training routines that he puts himself through. I mean, he's been, you know, through a lot of pain. So uh, obviously I think what he deals with on court, if it gets to be uh, like that, he knows how to put the face on. But it's not like he doesn't feel winded or he no. doesn't get tired. Like that happens to everyone. I mean, everyone, he's human. It's yeah. just, uh, he's, he's comfortable being uncomfortable and he's used to it. And he's able to like, you know, mask his fatigue for the most part, like, and you can't really pick it up. So it's very intimidating to play against somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes you get the other the other way though. Some old some old gamesmanship guys who uh, you know fake or you know they they bend over and it's like oh I'm very tired now and then uh, then they're like running after everything. Yeah, I think at that that's uh, that's a little more in the senior masters level, but yeah, that's my I level. Everyone's <laughs> playing against people like that, and and I don't think they're yeah. really that. It's not always faking. It's more about. Um, they're actually that tired and they don't care about disguising it. But once the ball's in play, they're just yeah. going and getting the ball and they don't stop. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a bit of, I think that's true. Uh, they're just doing their best to get as much sort of <laughs> relax or recovery in between points that they can, if, whether that's bending over or tying their shoelaces, they got to, you know, get as much in as they can and then go hard again, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's, uh, what's coming up on uh, series squash and uh, squash shots? Any, what's, the, what's the next uh, – when, when, when do the next episodes drop, Chris? I do a new episode uh, for squash shots every Monday. So I've okay. already done next week's clip, and actually it's very similar. I actually look at what exactly breaks down when we have to do hard movements and why do mm. we – why is that such a – like troubling part for squash and basically the main things i look at is how your technique of your swing uh your posture is influencing your shot uh not just the fact that you're going to get tired from having to do those hard movements and really fully extending yourself so i kind of go into some slow motion and then i kind of pause it and i i I actually show okay you can see here i can't follow through Uh, i'm not able to stay balanced through my shot and you know so i try to actually go through and pick out some areas where i'm you know, under the most pressure or my opponent is and uh, try to pick out the actual details about what's happening. That's brilliant. And try to get people to do some cross training because the more cross training you do, if you can actually lunge and move well, um, you know, that's going to help you be able to at least get that ball back and keep the, keep the rally going. So That's brilliant. That's brilliant stuff. So people uh, who want to see this, if they haven't seen uh, your stuff already, just go to your YouTube channel, right? Uh, You can go there. Yeah. YouTube.com slash series squash, or I I always post those kind of links on my blog, series squash.com. Okay. Um, Squash shots. Like I posted a few episodes on Instagram or um, on my blog as well, but uh, I actually have like people subscribing on Patreon to that. Okay. Uh, that's kind of where yeah, you mentioned that in your blog, uh, Patreon, uh, is that, pay, um, where do they go to find that? Um, 
Uh, Patreon.com slash Serious Squash. Okay. All right. And uh, anything else going on? Any uh, uh, playing any guitar this week or just uh, it's all squash? Uh, well, this week was a little different because my brother was starting a fast just for health reasons okay, on yeah. Sunday night. So I actually well, had it. Ramadan's, you know. So. Yeah, so it's been three <laughs> days since I've had a meal. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting some food in me later today. So, really? Okay, yeah. so you've been full on fasting uh, for three days. Three days, yeah. Wow, okay. Well, the, you know, the, the Muslims, they have their iftar uh, during Ramadan, so they actually eat once a day. But uh, yeah, you're, you're full on. How do you yeah. feel? So if, I feel okay, just, you know. You look, you you look all right, well. man. I wouldn't have yeah, noticed. Yeah. I wouldn't have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't sleep as well. And maybe it's I the think, beard. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I, I think it's not bad because I'm not, you know, on court coaching and playing. Yeah. Uh, I've still worked out the last two days, but you definitely, you're not going as hard and putting yeah. as much into it as you normally would. But I thought I would try it because why not? I'm in isolation and uh, yeah. I've heard a lot of good health benefits from doing it. So. Yeah, I do the uh, intermittent, I guess, sort of quote unquote intermittent fasting, which uh, uh, that's kind of my diet, my daily thing now for, for the last few months. I just don't, I have a small breakfast. I don't eat anything until lunch. I might have a banana or or you know, some water and then a uh, small, smallish lunch and then a relatively sizable dinner, but nothing in between and then nothing until breakfast. Now, I'm not sure if that yeah. fits it within the uh, definition of intermittent fasting, but uh, it, I, I noticed a huge difference in energy levels and, you know, I took off, I was never heavy anyways, but uh, took off a couple LBs and uh, just found, you know, feel so much uh, better since I've started. Well, I did learn from this that is, you know, I'm not eating because I'm hungry normally. You're just eating because yeah. it's a routine and you're like, you know, everyone enjoys eating. So yeah, well, I mean, the athlete, big thing like, oh, for I me is uh, no junk food. I, I totally, I'm totally off uh, Oreo cookies and uh, <laughs> potato chips, which, you know, I love. I, I could sit down and eat a, you know, I'll, I'll go and have a great, you know, two hours on the squash court or, you know, do some great training. Then I'll come home and eat like five uh, Oreo cookies. Yeah, Which, well, yeah they taste they great. They add up. Yeah. <laughs> they do. I think yeah. it's, about, it's about balance. Yeah. yeah. I think it's once a month that would be okay, but not yeah, every yeah. Uh, One every cheat time. day a month. But yeah. I'm off it now and I don't miss it. I did miss it, but now I don't. And now it's strawberries and blueberries. Well, that's a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Chris, uh, really, really appreciate talking to you today. Uh, and, um, you know, squash, uh, serious squash and squash shots are really worth uh, watching. I think anyone who's listening, please uh, check that out. And Chris, I want to wish you all the best at University of Western Ontario. Carry the tour, you know, the baton has been handed over to you. You have, uh, you know, good luck with that. Bring the boys back to the tier one, I guess, uh, top eight. In the, That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all the best in, in London with, with your new job. Okay, thanks a lot, Jerry. Good to talk to you. Well, thanks to Chris very much for that. And uh, again, he's one of the bright young minds on the squash coaching uh, scene out there at the moment. All the best to him at the University of Western Ontario where he carries the tradition of Jack Fairs on. And I'm sure uh, Western won't skip a beat. Uh, 
particularly in terms of the, the Canadian bar city scene, which they've dominated. However, uh, maybe the big challenge for, uh, for Chris will be uh, to make inroads on the American scene, which will be very tough given how recruiting goes there and, and the talent that they have, the big names that they have on the coaching side of things. But uh, that's a challenge that Chris, I'm sure, uh, has on his list of things uh, that he wants to achieve. So all the best to Chris there at the University of Western Ontario and with his new gig at the London Squash and Fitness Club. Now before we finish up today, I just want to wish all of you all the best. Uh, thanks for, so much for listening. I've had some great interaction with many of the listeners, so please feel free uh, to contact me at any time. You can do that on any social media. Uh, give me a like, give me a, a rating on the, uh, on the podcast app that you're using. Uh, we've got a good few coming up as well, including this week. With any luck, uh, Nick uh, Taylor is going to be on for his second visit. And the first one, if you haven't listened to it, is well worth listening to. Uh, that was about uh, 50, 60 episodes back, maybe a year and a half ago, I forget. But uh, that was a fantastic one, and I'm sure this will be similar. He's got something new going on in his coaching uh, life right now, so he's going to come on and talk about that, amongst other things. And uh, Nick's uh, one of the great players at the, on, at the professional level, level when he was playing, so uh, it'll be fun to have him on talking about uh, all aspects of the game. So Nick Taylor later this week, and we've got several others uh, hopefully uh, coming through as well. I don't want to mention anything because nothing's firmed up yet, but uh, look forward to those. And again, thanks everybody for listening. <clears throat> stay safe, stay well, stay healthy. Let's beat this thing. And uh, hopefully one of these uh, podcasts uh, down the road will be able to say, let's get back on court. Let's have a good week on court and with our training and things. But right now, that uh, time on court has to be spent at home. So uh, anyways, all the best to you, your families. Take care now, and thanks for listening. Goodbye now.